This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now look, y'all, it is crazy outside. There's all kinds of stuff going on. If you are working a nine to five, you're probably stressed out about keeping your nine to five. If you don't have a nine to five, you're probably in the middle of trying to get a new nine to five. Or maybe you made the crazy leap to be a full-time entrepreneur like me. You got the world on fire all around you, middle of elections year. A lot of stuff going on. It's just, it's absolutely nuts, right? It's nuts outside. And I could definitely see, I'll speak for me. Look, for me, I know I be going to therapy on a regular basis. I believe in therapy, all right? Hashtag uh, black folks need therapy. Hashtag we all need therapy. We all need it. And for me, I can say if it wasn't for therapy being like an ongoing maintenance tool in my toolkit to help me stay level and help me realize that I'm okay, everything around me is okay, here's what I can control, that has been critical for me. And I would hope that if you have thought about therapy, and if, or if you haven't thought about therapy, shoot, let's say you're like, like I ain't got time for therapy, I got, I'm too busy trying to make sure that these plates keep on spinning, I hope that you check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online. It's completely convenient, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, keyword licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, which is incredible. It's very challenging to move around and find the right therapist for you. The fact that BetterHelp is providing that as just part of your experience is incredible. So find your support, get the help you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash corp today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash corp, C-O-R-P. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert, Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out The Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. And welcome to The Break Room, where we are dedicated to talking about Black mental health, specifically in the workplace. I am Dr. Lawanda Hill, one of the co-hosts of the show, and I will allow my wonderful co-host to introduce himself. Thank you so much, Dr. Lawanda. Uh, my name is Dr. Jide Bamashigbin. I'm a professor of psychology at Cal State Long Beach. I'm a health psychologist and I'm a dad, and we're really excited to have this episode today. Yes, I'm super excited for this episode, y'all, because I have been in a state of rage following um, the anti-Asian, racially motivated, hate-motivated crime that occurred in Atlanta on Tuesday. So I'm like, I cannot wait to come to the break room to talk about this because I think it's so related and so on par with what we address. But before we hop into it, I'm going to try to pace myself. Um, We may have some new listeners, some new people. So we want to give you an overview of what the break room is, who we are, what we do, and how we'll spend our time today. And encourage you to engage us in the comments, ask questions, you know, be in the mix. So the break room is a webinar that's part of the Living Corporate series where there's four of us that come together weekly Thursdays at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we talk about all things Black mental health in the workplace. Um, and living in a very anti-Black, white terrorist world, we have topics galore, right? So we usually open up with the tea, 
you know, what is the tea, what's happening, what's going on with the current events, because we know current events impact our, impact our health and our mental health. Um, and then we move into our topic, and tonight topic, tonight's topic, we're going to be talking about the fact that the body keeps the score. They're going to really unpack what that is. Um, after we um, talk about that specific topic, we ask that the audience engage us in comments and questions. Um, you can always write into us. Um, I'm hoping Dr. Jade has the email address, and we'll talk about how you can write into us for questions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after we take those questions, we go to the last nerve, which is one of my favorite parts of our show, um, where we talk about what has gotten on our last nerve for the week. And we give ourselves 60 seconds. We sometimes go over. The 60 90, seconds, 90, about, 90. about a 90, about a 90 mm -hmm. second rant mm -hmm. about what's been getting on our damn last nerve. And then we wrap up. So that's how we spend our time. I'm super excited today to hop into the topic about the body keeping the score, which is going to talk about, you know, the psychological and physiological impact of white toxicity okay that's what we're mm -hmm. going to unpack today but before we do let's pop us off with the tea like today what yes. we got what's the tea yes yes so today our tea we're going <laughs> to spill the tea and we're going to talk about um a recording that came out in the last week of kirk franklin you know um so kirk franklin is a nationally famous, probably world famous gospel artist, right? Um, world famous, he makes incredible music. I love, you know, Kirk Franklin's music, you know, and I'm sure many, many people do. Um, but a recording came out recently from his son that put it on Instagram of, uh, how do you call it? Uh, an argument between them? <laughs> you know, maybe, yeah. right? you know, uh, It got uh, real, uh, real between them. It got really, really, really heated, you know? Um, and there's been a lot of talk about what was said and, you know, Black folks' reaction to it, right, um, with regard to what happened, right? So he's on the phone and, you know, Franklin's gospel artist, but we heard some some language, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I quote, I, I, I wrote this down beforehand because I wanted to make sure, so I quoted. Oh, um, he called him a, uh, a bitch ass. Um, he said, I will put my foot in your ass. Sorry, I'm saying it like this. It's more funny this way. Um, and he said, I will break your neck, nigga. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. I ain't heard yes. it, but okay. Yes, so I, yes, okay, yes. Kirk went there. He went there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, to his son, who, and this is important, his son is 33, okay? His son is not like a, right. a child. His son, his son is a grown man. Um, and that's what's happened. And there's been lots of like debate about, is that type of language appropriate? Right. Is that is, is it appropriate for him to talk to his son like that? Um, a lot of people have said, well, my, my parents talk to me like that all the time. Like, what's, what's, what's the problem? Right. Um, so, Dr. Luana, what were your thoughts on it? OK, so I didn't hear it, but my best friend okay. called me and told me about it. And mm -hmm. I was like, OK, I feel like I'm OK. Like they grown ass mm -hmm. men. Because mm -hmm. from what I hear, the way he opens it up is he's like, let me talk to you in the language. I'm paraphrasing that, that you can mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. So like, if you don't mm -hmm. get it this way, let me talk mm -hmm. to you in this way. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm going to go ahead and conclude or assume that he tried to get through to him with, you know, mm -hmm. none um, mm -hmm. expletives. And he mm -hmm. did it. And so he went mm -hmm. in on him. And I, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it unless he really intended to put his foot in his ass or break his neck and all that. Mm -hmm. I don't support physical abuse or anything mm -hmm. like that. But like, that's mm -hmm. how black people talk to each other sometimes, you know? Like, that's how people talk. So I felt like people were overreacting, maybe because he was a gospel artist. Mm -hmm. But from what I'm, what I'm, you're hearing, what I'm hearing from you, and just like taking it in, mm -hmm. I'm like, people know that their parents talk to them like that. All the time. Mm -hmm. I think you know. I think that's a 
a fair perspective, you know. <laughs> I I saw it, and you know, I felt so. So so I'll say part of the conversation was about oh well, we're, you're not going to cancel Kurt Franklin, right? And my th whole thing ah. is we're not talking about canceling. We're not talking about cancel culture because it doesn't actually exist. You know, all these things. We'll talk about that another time, right? But you yeah. know, I will say I think Kirk Franklin probably wants to have that conversation back. You know, mm. like you know, I'm a father. I have two kids. Okay. You know, I've said things that I'm like, you know what? On re upon reflection, I wish I could take that back. I wish I could could phrase that better, right? You know, is Kurt Franklin actually gonna beat his son's ass? I I don't know, right? You know, I I don't know. Um, but that kind of conversation, I feel, I feel like he could have handled it better as mm -hmm. the adult, right? Because because no matter what, no matter what age you are, your parent is still your parent. <laughs> you know, your parent is yeah. still your parent. Yeah. At the same time, you know, that's how people talk. Right. You know, that's how me and my dogs talk when we're playing basketball with each other, you know, all, all, all these different kinds of things. So there's a lot of cultural aspects of it. But also yeah. as a parent, I, I he may have, you know, feel like he may have lost his cool. I think he lost his cool. And, and that doesn't make you a bad parent. That makes you a human. Right. In that <laughs> right? moment, you, know? you, you were like really emotional. So it's not exactly. like maybe he may want to redo because he's kind of come down a little bit. Exactly. And don't want to kind of have the same. Exactly. Like, exactly. Exactly. I it's not the end of the world, though. It's it's not, the world. I did hear people say, that's funny, they're like, we're not canceling Kirk. And somebody yeah. said, that's on <laughs> Melodies from Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love was that. like, we're not canceling Kirk, I and that's on that. Melodies from Heaven, so y'all can forget on... about it. So, I, I mean, I feel that. that. I, guess, I, I guess a good way to think about it is, like, we understand culturally it is normative, right? Like, at mm -hmm. least for some cultures. Um, some part of black culture. We know we're not a monolithic mm -hmm. culture, but for some parts of black culture, it is normalized. And mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like he may have lost his cool and he may want to call yeah. that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's right. not the end of the world. You know, he wouldn't be the first parent to curse at his kid. He's just the only one. You know? But one of the, the, he happens to be famous and he was caught on tape. And he was caught, he caught right. on tape. Exactly. He was, he exactly. was outed on tape by his, exactly. his son doing it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, you know. So, you know, that that's our tea, y'all. We like to start off with something light, you know, some tea so that we can kind of keep our ear to the streets. We like to stay relevant before we hop into the topic. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is a perfect time to pivot, you know, to tonight's topic. I want to talk about the, the physiological and psychological impact of white toxicity, right? And mm -hmm. how the body the body ultimately keeps the score with that. Now, I feel like this is so timely, y'all, because we know that on Tuesday in Atlanta, Georgia, a white terrorist who shall remain nameless decided to do what whiteness and white toxicity does um, in its inability to manage its own impulses, its own challenges, its own shortcomings that is a part of the human experience, decided to, you know, uh, externalize that and take lives of people, right? He wanted to blame. And open gunfire in Atlanta, killing eight people, six of which were of Asian descent. And in one hour. In one hour, and women. And was on his way, his raggedy-ass way to Florida to kill more people. Okay? We know that there has been a spike in anti-Asian racism. Um, uh, there's been a spike in Asian uh, violence against Asian Americans since COVID-19, since 45's presidency, and him inciting that. And this mm -hmm. has is predictable, arguably. This mm -hmm. was predictable and it has come to a head. And Thank you so much for saying that. He 45 really has incited this. I, I really feel it's important to, to stress that. The previous person in office has incited this type of violence. So and made it you. acceptable. 
and mm-hmm. made it socially acceptable and just activated people's own internal hatred and their own, you know, evilness, right? Mm-hmm. So he's mm-hmm. a culprit in this. So when this happened, this went down on Tuesday and I began to see the news coverage um, already beginning to spin the narrative to humanize him and other the victims, right? The police officer went as far as to say he was having a bad day, right? Um, they were, you know, talking about his sex addiction, right? Which is not a thing, by the way. Um, they were talking about giving all these reasons and rationale and not calling it a racially motivated crime. crime. They gave him the opportunity to write his own narrative, mm-hmm. right? Because he said it wasn't racially motivated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so because mm-hmm. he said it, even though six of the eight victims were Asian and he mm-hmm. targeted them, then that must be true because whiteness is the right. It's all narrative. And uh, can I can I just add to that? Absolutely. Um, they the nobody really took the time to interview the Asian people who are around as well. So there are reports from Asian news outlets which pointed out that literally he screamed, I will kill all Asians before he went along and did this, right? And you're allowing him to set this narrative. Right about well, it wasn't racially motivated. It's really, it's really upsetting. So it's a bunch of bullshit. That's what it is. It's a bunch of mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. And as it un- as it began to unfold, I remember just feeling rage and like a physical reaction, which we're going to talk a little bit more about later. Like a physical, mm-hmm. visceral reaction to the news coverage, to his audacity, to the fact that lives have been lost. Um, and then I begin to think about like you know, this is the impact of white terrorism. I'm not calling it white supremacy anymore. I'm calling it white toxicity. I'm calling it white terrorism. This is the psychological impact of white mm-hmm. terrorism on people, right? Mm-hmm. And how, you know, these these crimes that targeted Asian Americans um, or people of Asian descent can activate our own trauma as black folks, mm-hmm. right? And the mm-hmm. body literally keeps the memory and holds the story and keeps mm-hmm. the score of what has happened. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to Im- unpack that today. So I, I want to, you know, pay my respects to the lives that were lost. Um, eight people. Eight people. And my prayers, my thoughts, my heart goes out to that family, those families that are beginning to grieve and like deal with the shock and the aftermath of all of this. My heart just really goes out to them. Um, and so I want to just take a moment to acknowledge that and spend some time today talking about how that impacts black folks specifically, because we still got to go to work. Right. right. This mm-hmm. happened and people still have to show up at work. So mm-hmm. when I say white toxicity, OK, the impact of white. When you think about something that's toxic, y'all. Right. I don't, I've looked for research on this and I'm like, oh, there's nobody. Probably people being polite. They haven't really written about white toxicity. Probably because they're still calling it white supremacy. But toxic means something that causes harm. It's like legit poisonous. OK, it eats away. At structurally, even structurally, you know, at something of a thing, breaks it down, can kill it over time. And whiteness in and of itself is toxic in a lot of ways. And, and that toxicity has psychological, physiological impacts on people. Mm-hmm. And specifically for the sake of our show at work too, right? Mm-hmm. Because these events happen and it just activates to me white toxicity at, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways in which white toxicity manifests. Mm-hmm. Okay? That was it, this, well, this anti-Asian shooting was just like the worst extreme example of it, right? Because people are dead, right? But it manifests itself every day. Every yes, single day. say mm-hmm. that, that again. 
that is only one example. Like that's an extreme version of it, but it manifests mm -hmm. itself every day, y'all. And I want you to understand it and be able to recognize. And that's what I hope you take away from the show today. To be able to recognize when it's manifested because it does have a physiological and psychological impact on who we are. Mm -hmm. That, you know, violence, um, extreme levels of violence, lethal violence is one manifestation of it. But we saw mm -hmm. other manifestations of it happen on the news channels that we mm -hmm. see at work. Let me mm -hmm. help you out about what that looks like. Number one, whitewashing. That is a manifestation of white toxicity. When I say whitewashing, I know y'all know what I'm talking about. It's the way white people take a story and make it, and they spin it, and they make it more comfortable. What do we see? Oh, he was having a bad day. When have you ever seen anybody who's not white have an issue with where there's violence involved and somebody give the explanation that he was having a bad day or that he had a sex addiction, right? So now we're giving, we're making an excuse for him. We're making an excuse for his behavior. Whitewashing, we're gonna change the narrative. Um, you know, Christopher Columbus came over and discovered America as opposed to he savagely raped, you know, mm -hmm. and took land that was not his from the native that were native indigenous people who were already here. It's called whitewashing and we see it all the time. Retelling mm -hmm. stories, rechanging narratives, this manifests at work in a lot of different ways. It's like, oh, yep. we're such and such, you know, left the, he, they found another opportunity, so they left the organization, or you push them out. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. It's lies. It's lies and it's deception and it's toxic. And when you take it in, just it, like any poison, when you take it in daily, it begins to have an impact on you. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they whitewash all our heroes too, you know? Same thing. Martin Luther King, whitewashed. Martin Luther King, whitewashed. You know, in terms of all his thoughts, all his speeches, right? The the white people that Martin Luther King think of, right? It's not the actual Martin Luther King. <laughs> no. Right? Who was a radical, right? Who 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 called out white people and white moderates, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So white, the Martin Luther King that white people talk about is the one who wanted everybody to be together without, you know, skin color coming in between, right? That's an example of whitewashing. Mm-hmm. Or they want to talk about, I remember seeing on Twitter one time where this white woman literally was going back and forth with his daughter about what his mission was. Like your dad would be so, first of all, how are you going to tell this woman, how are you going to tell this woman what her dad's true purpose and mission was? Like that is a classic example of the audacity of whiteness and how mm -hmm. it becomes so fucking toxic. Okay. Yep. So they begin to rewrite this narrative about MLK as being so peaceful and wanting to center love. And first of all, there could be no love and peace without justice. Mm -hmm. And you cannot have justice unless you tell the truth and face the truth. And that is something that whiteness by and large has a very hard time doing, is being honest, right? Mm -hmm. And facing and telling the truth for what it is. And so this yep. level of toxicity, y'all, it's, it's, it's so there like the air you breathe. Right. And I want to name it because I, I don't think that we often we know that we're being impacted in the workplace. We know that there's a challenge. We know that there's something that's making us awful. We can't really name it. And we don't know why. And I've been mm -hmm. whitewashing is definitely one of those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is white toxicity, a manifestation of white toxicity in the workplace that makes us have a physiological impact. Another impact is gaslighting, y'all. Gaslighting. Gaslighting is another manifestation of white toxicity that basically is when, you know, white people by and large and people who are white aligned who've internalized these white dominant views will play this psychological warfare and dismiss the reality of what is, making you 
question yourself psychologically. Like, I don't know, for instance, let's say you are impacted by the events that happen in Atlanta and you show up at work and you are like, you know, people are just going on, moving on with their day and you're having a reaction and everybody's kind of looking at you or dismissing it like it doesn't matter, right? Or like it didn't happen or like you shouldn't be as impacted by it, right? And when this happens, you kind of begin to psychologically question yourself, like, am I overreacting or why are you so angry about this or why are you so mad about this or we don't understand why there's such a problem right it is a active dismissal right it is an active dismissal of what's really happening um that usually happens to black folks and people of color that creates a physiological and psychological impact mm-hmm. right so when mm-hmm. we think about like the ways in which this toxicity shows up it is most definitely this whitewashing narrative it is most definitely this gaslighting and that begins to wear and tear over us over time. So do you have mm-hmm. any examples for you today of like gaslighting at work? Absolutely. Imagine being in a workspace, okay? A workplace. And you're a black person in the workplace, maybe one of one maybe the only, maybe one of a few. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you notice that other people are moving up. Mm. You know, they're moving up. And there's nothing inherently wrong with other people moving up. That's what you're supposed to do in an organization if you're doing good work and you're there, you move up. Um, but you notice other people are moving up. You ask questions about why you're not moving up. And it's, now nah, you got to wait for something else. Oh, no, you got to wait for X. Oh, you got to wait for Y. Oh, well, it's it's a funding thing. Oh, it's an X issue, right? Until that one day, until that one day where like the absolute worst person in the office gets a promotion, right? And you're like, no way. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the 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 son of the boss. Right. The, the white the white man in the office, whatever. Somebody just gets motion. And you're like, no, actually, this whole time I was waiting on you. Right. Because I'm thinking you're my boss. This is this is a good faith effort. You're my, my time will come when it's time. Right. But mm-hmm. actually, you were never going to let me move up. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot. I mm-hmm. you know, I went to graduate school at UCLA. I can I, I can pull a, a black grad student out of any department, chemistry, political science, X, Y, Z, and they'll have a similar story, right? There's no more funding. There's no more X. Well, we don't, it's not the right time. Well, no, that's just gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Or that's, it's not, not the truth. that's not, that's not, it, it's not the truth, right? And at the, the end of the day, that's what gaslighting does. It distorts the truth and the reality of what is that you know is rooted in anti-blackness, that you know is rooted in a lot of privilege, um, nepotism in a lot of instances or mediocrity, mm-hmm. but it, it refuses to acknowledge the reality of what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And when you don't do that, that fucks with your psyche. Yep. You know, like Big you're gonna you're gonna say that this is a funding issue when y'all found funding for random things, you know, or this is gonna Always. take so much time, but you can put time and energy behind things that you right. really, really value. So this gaslighting is another way in which white toxicity manifests y'all. And it is problematic on so many different and it begins mm-hmm. to eat away at you. And I think the third one, before we start talking about the impact, like the psychological impact of what I want to name is toxicity, is this, this is a common one that I think doesn't get a lot of airtime, and it's this white niceness, right? It's toxic, right? It's this white niceness that manifests as I'm going to be nice and I'm going to be kind to you so that I don't have to address any bigger issues or deeper issues or acknowledge my privilege or acknowledge the ways in which I am um, unfairly or unduly benefiting from my whiteness. And if I'm nice to you, that'll make all that go away, right? And we don't have to address any issues, right? I don't have to give up any 
level of power. I don't have to be uncomfortable in any way as long as I'm nice. Mm-hmm. Toxicity with a right? smile. Toxicity with a smile. Toxicity. I'm not going to hire you. But I'll be nice. And I'm going to be I'm kind nice. about it. And I'm going to be polite. But I'm not going to I'm not going to really deal with any of the real issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I know that what you face is real, but I'm just going to pretend like I don't know. And so sometimes I feel like, not sometimes, most of the time, white niceness is weaponized. Right. It's weaponized in a way of, well, I can't believe that you would feel angry with me. I can't believe that you would have a strong reaction to me or be mad at anything that I'm doing or not doing because I'm just being so kind. I don't give a fuck about you being kind. I want right. you to do what you need to do to address structural racism and anti-blackness. And I don't, mm-hmm. you, hell, be rude. Mm-hmm. I'd rather you be rude than be kind. Mm-hmm. And I see it all the time. It's yep. like, racism with a smile is the perfect way to do Like, mm-hmm. can you think of any examples today? Like, that right, nice I'm, I'm having like flashbacks <laughs> right right now. And, and it's, it's it, you know, it, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It even is a little painful. You know, to try to go back and, and think about these things, right? Um, but you know, people will smile in your face. Be- believe it. White right? people will smile in your face, okay? And then go in whatever office and you know, backstab you. You know, I recently watched uh, an example I could think of. I recently watched. Don't don't judge me. I watched the What Men Want with Taraji P Henson. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. You know, please don't judge me. I watched it and there was an example of that, you know, so she could read minds and she had a coworker who she had, who she thought was like against her. Right. And she read his mind and she found out, no, actually he voted for me to move up to partner because he's a lawyer or something. Right. It was the boss who she always thought was on her side. Yep. Yep. It was it was that one who was the yep. one who was not voting her in, right? Yep. Once again, I'll do it right there with a smile on my face, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I will not let you move up, but I don't want you to think that it's me. Yeah, that's part of the niceness, right? I don't want yeah. you to think that it's me. I don't want you to know that it's me because I want to hoard this power, right? Mm-hmm. Or my pre- as as Dr. Nikki said, it's that sweet prejudice, right? I'm gonna be sweet to you, and I'm gonna be kind to you, and I'm not. I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna come after the meeting. That's the people who come mm-hmm. after the meeting is over. And they let mm-hmm. you struggle in the meeting and say everything. Yeah, you were so brave. Never, you were so brave, and that was so nice of you. Oh my God, that took so much strength. And you sat your ass there and didn't say nothing. Mm-hmm. And you think because you were kind enough to—it's performative kindness, is what I call. Yes, right. Yes, it's performative kindness that maintains inequity and maintains distress. And I think the the paradox, like the psychological paradox for folks, is like, but should I be mad because they're so nice? You know, or they're always bringing me coffee or they're always, you know, affirming me and they're always doing X, Y, Z. So I guess I shouldn't be that mad at them. And that is that. I think that's that's the psychological impact it begins to have on you. And you're wondering, like, well, what's the problem? They they don't dislike me. First of all, racism is not a good, bad binary. Right. It is structural. It Mm -hmm. is action oriented and systematic. So you Mm -hmm. can be nice to me all you want and then not diversify leadership. Well, you can right. be nice to me all you want, but then there's no money in the budget to be able to right. promote me or pay me what you do to me, and you are still racist at the same time. Right. So I think these three pieces, and I could go on and on and on about whiteness and white toxicity because it is uh, it's very nuanced and, and toxic mm-hmm. at its core, but I find that in this particular week with things that have happened, and just, you know, as a psychologist, y'all, I hear people deal with these insidious acts of whiteness in their workplace, in the Environment. I'm a psychologist at Stanford. I also have a private practice. And so people 
text and Facebook, Google, Instagram, all of them, anti-black, every mm-hmm. single one of them. Mm-hmm. And the, the toxicity of the whiteness and the ways it shows up, if you don't have a language for it, y'all, if you mm-hmm. can't name it, it's hard to understand its impact, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you a question and we might get to this later today or another episode. Um, what do you do about it? You know, if you're, if you're in a situation where like, oh, this is a white, a, to- a toxic white environment, right? Like, what do you do as somebody who works there? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to. We're going to get to okay. it. I want okay. to talk about the impact of it. And then I okay. do want to give us, I want to center our mental okay. health in all of it. Okay. Because in okay. a sea, if you're drowning in a sea of white toxicity, which is a lot of people's reality, yep. <laughs> we don't want you to leave this show without having some tips and tools about how to survive yep. that. Yep. So I'm going yep. to talk Life about raps. that. Life raps. But before we do, I want you to talk to us a little bit about now that we know how white toxicity can manifest in, in whitewashing, in gaslighting. And that white niceness, right? And that mm-hmm. white performance of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the psychological, physiological impact of it. I mean, so it's 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 not a question as to whether white toxicity and racism and all these things impact the physical and mental health of black people and other people of color, you know, in the country. It's a matter of how and to what extent. You know, that's really the question, right? It's not, it's not if, it's how, you know, um, you know, our body, you know, our body has a job, you know, I, I don't know if we think about it this way, but our body has a job to protect us, yeah. right? <laughs> when something happens in the environment, our body says, okay, let me level you out, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. cold. Let me warm you up. It's kind of hot. Let me cool you down, right? That's what our body does physically, but also psychologically, you know, so there are so many different examples of white toxicity, okay, that I could point to. Oh. I think the most recent example of white toxicity is this COVID-19 pandemic and the handling of everything that went along with it, mm. okay? As you pointed out earlier with the previous person who was the president of the United States, he was responsible for the anti-Asian violence we just recently saw, but also just the entire handling of it, you yeah. know, from beginning to end, the way Black people are treated in the hospitals, the way that Black people are getting stiffed over for vaccines, it's all an example of white toxicity. And even right? the stigma of white of Black people not even wanting to get vaccinated because mm-hmm. of the distrust in the healthcare, mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you know, there's this idea that Black people don't want to get vaccinated. The people who don't want to get vaccinated the most are white Republicans, that by part. the way, that part. by the way. To be, to be clear, like, there's really no difference between the average black person and the white per- average white person in terms of wanting to get vaccinated. It's mm-hmm. really the white Republicans who say they don't want to do it, but mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there, okay? <laughs> you know, but white toxicity, okay? So COVID-19 lowered the life expectancy in this country. Overall, it lowered it a year. For black people, it lowered our life expectancy by three years. For Hispanic people, it lowered their life expectancy by two years, Okay. White toxicity, all right? Um, there's research showing that in places, this is this is just crazy to me, in places, okay? Because Google tracks all the information, right? Of course. <laughs> the cooking. And they know, they know what you're searching. They know when you're searching it. They know where you're searching it from. When they see in certain places where people are searching the N-word more often, okay? And usually they mean the N-word with the hard R, not with the A, right? Because that's the <laughs> distinction. <laughs> with, with the hard E-R, right? They find that black people in those areas have an eight percent increase in mortality. Wow. 
an 8% increase in mortality in comparison to white people, which translates, because I, I want to put this into numbers you can understand, 30,000 more deaths a year. Because of white toxicity. Because of white toxicity. Just from knowing who, who types in who types in the N-word in Google, right? You know, um, telomeres, they're these, they're on our chromosomes. They're like shoe, shoe lap shoelace caps, right? Um, and they help us. They're associated with aging. So much research has shown that Black people have shorter telomeres, right? And that's something that leads to worse health and, you know, higher likelihood of dying, right? And you can even see those changes really, really early on in life, right? Because the differences between Black people and white people start prenatally, <laughs> it, it, truly, you know, because of ra racism and white toxicity in the United States, okay? Yeah. Recently, the Journal of American, um, the Journal of American, the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. Okay, um, they recently had a podcast with some white doctors. Okay? okay, and they posted on Twitter with this great headline. Okay, are you ready for this headline? Give it to me. Wait, wait, wait. Let me take a sip. Okay, okay, take a sip. Right. Let, you know, me too, me too, me too, me too. Okay, and this is a country where black women have the highest rates of infant mortality and, um, you know, maternal mortality, right? I'm reading this right now. No physician is racist. So how can there be structural racism in healthcare? No physician is racist. Listen to the bullshit, y'all. The the, and the white toxicity. Listen to the gaslighting. Listen to the whitewashing. Mm -hmm. no, no physician. No physician. Even hell, I would even say even the white niceness, right? No physician is racist. It's all it's all three. <laughs> it's all three in a it's nutshell. Three. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. Um, you know, and everybody's like, you know, in in, in this country, <laughs> right? The, the same country that treats fat people poorly, right? That doesn't listen to them when they have problems, that doesn't treat black people well, doesn't treat poor people well, treats homeless people as if they're disposable. That country, there's no physician that's racist. First of all, let me break it down for it to forever be broken. Okay, like he said on Love Jones, I believe. Mm -hmm. Racism is an act. Anytime there's a, multiple races at the table, right? And let's just take this whole idea of health care in, in, uh, infant mortality rate or maternal mm -hmm. rate of death. Mm -hmm. If there are more people within one race represented in those deaths than others, and they happen to be disproportionately Black or disproportionately Latinx or disproportionately Indigenous Native folks, racism is at play. One race is being favored, having a higher rate um, of life expectancy. One yep. race is not. Like there yep. is something racist about that because it is centering, elevating one race while marginalizing and oppressing another. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is a mm -hmm. fundamental fact. We got to get beyond this good, bad, binary. Yep. No person thinks they're racist or admits to being racist, but right. yet the data suggests differently. So if you see, that the rates of mortality for black women, for instance, who are, you know, maternal and moving through the maternal process are higher, there is a level of racism at play. Why is that not happening for whites, Latinx, you know, Asian, you name it? Okay. And so then, just for the ignorant ass doctors who don't get it, that is racism. So therefore, if it's happening structurally, there's something inherent in the process that creates the disproportionate outcome. Mm -hmm. Even in their biases in evaluating these women and understanding these women's body and understanding mm -hmm. the ways in which they carry children to term or not to term in ways in which they assess. Structurally, there's something that's being missed 
about a particular particular race that's leading to a negative outcome. You idiot. I'm sorry, I had to give that because you, that huge idiot. No, no, thank you. Thank you. That that's exactly what it is. And that and that's just to showcase this is what we're up against. <laughs> you know, right? This is what we're up against. Like the drama, I can't I can't really explain how big JAMA is. Do you know what I'm saying? JAMA is like the New York Times of medical journals. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And this is a representation of the medical system. Gaslighting you. Yep. Telling you that structural racism doesn't exist. Yep. I mean, racism doesn't exist. So how could it be structurally racist? Oh. Yep. 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 So that's what we're up against. So um, we have a question that was asked previously, and I'm going to read it to you because I want you to answer this one. Okay. This isn't me writing it, but you know, obviously, I am a black female, fairly young, 30-ish professional that feels that the excellence that is inherent in others, that is inherent in how I show up often makes others, even other black folk in power uncomfortable. Any advice on how to unpack that? Not wanting to lose myself, but also not wanting to make others uncomfortable. Mm. I would say for the person who said it, you can say a little bit more about what it means for you to make people uncomfortable. Right? Like, what is that about? I, I can I can share my reaction to it, right? Like mm -hmm. I think that first of all, because of white toxicity, I think black people, black black people, let's just start broadly with black people, have been socialized to overperform, mm -hmm. um, to go above and beyond, to do what we need to do because we have to work extra work, right? And I think, you know, just based on the education rates, I think that black women are the most um, highest educated group. I think there's been a trend over the yep. last five to ten years, um, have the most buying power, you know, have the highest rates of the highest rates of advanced degrees. So black women have internalized this and I just believe by and large are magical right? Like mm -hmm. magical in all of the sense. And so I think that it takes a strong person, you know, like we would say real recognize real to be able to say, oh my God, I feel like a black woman who's magical. I aspire to be like it. I appreciate it. I want to be close to it because they're better than me. Mm -hmm. um, I want to let it challenge me. Right? I think mm -hmm. that that is a very healthy response to what I'm, I think I'm hearing in her question. And I do think that because of white toxicity and even sometimes internalized whiteness or internalized racism and jealousy, people will have the opposite response mm -hmm. where they will feel intimidated, they will feel jealous, they will feel, you know, like they're in a competition to create new mm -hmm. I think, which is part of what I want to talk to about how do we manage white toxicity, I think it's important to be able to name it. Yep. Right to her to be able to recognize it and name it to determine who does it belong to. When I say who does it belong to, people's insecurity in their projection onto you is not yours to manage, right? Yep. But when we start to believe it's ours to manage, then it's like, okay, I feel like you may be getting into I don't want to trick myself, I don't want to lose myself, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Well, it's not your discomfort to manage, it's theirs. And that certainly doesn't take away the feeling, that certainly doesn't take away the fear that comes from it, but it helps if we can be able to name and disentangle, is this mine or is it there, right? So is it very I, I, I can't carry this, it is not mine. It's, I can't carry it, uh -huh. it's not mine. And I think that uh -huh. that would be my reaction to, you know, the young lady who posed the question, whose is it to carry? Uh -huh. You know, I think that the burden of it and managing it may be more difficult, I'm not to simplify it, but I think it's important for us to recognize, like, you know, when you, First of all, people are, well, people, excellence exposes mediocrity. I believe mm -hmm. that. And when you are showing up as yourself and being excellent and it's exposing somebody's deficits of the mediocrity, I think there's more to the reaction to that. Yep. And we have to decide whose is it to get it? Is it ours or is it, is it theirs? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Add anything to that? 
I, you know, I think you, you summed it up. You know, if, if you, if you're at work doing your thing and you know, you're killing it, you know, but people, if, if you know, Cat Williams said, if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. Hello. You know, Hello. <laughs> you know, you're not doing it right. You know, so, you know, keep, keep doing, keep doing you. Keep focusing on yourself. I really hope fine. that helps. I hope that yeah. helps you because it's not easy and it's not a space. And I think we live in a world that, you know, especially towards black women will have those negative symptoms. So yes. to, to your question, I want to give us something because we talk about white toxicity. We talk about mm-hmm. the impact of it physiologically, psychologically. I want to give us some tips to center our mental health. So, melanin and mental health, if y'all not following melanin and mental health, I strongly encourage you to. Um, they are black and brown folks who are thinking of mental health and black and brown folks. And they gave some really good tips about dealing with um, racist terrorism, which I think is basically a form of white racism. The first one is to recognize when gaslighting, whitewashing, you know, white niceness is occurring. We've given you three examples of that, right? So, to be able to recognize it in name, and usually our emotions give us some and if we were to lean into it as opposed to dismiss it, we can have one question. So that is one tool to managing white toxicity um, and its impact. Recognize when it's happening and name it. Two, connect with people who affirm, validate, and um, celebrate your existence. So when people want to gaslight you, and I would say even to the young lady who posed this question, surround yourself with people who are not intimidated or jealous by your excellence, but affirm it and lift it up and celebrate it. Because we don't need to feel like we need to explain and justify our human experience that actually creates more toxicity in front of us. So surround yourself with people who celebrate you, who get it, who acknowledge the impact, and you don't have to explain it. Okay? So we want to name it and we want to connect with people who affirm. Process your emotions, right? When we say process, we're talking about acknowledging the emotion and letting yourself move through. I told, when well, my coworkers asked me today, how you feeling? Uh, Luanda, I said rage, and everybody gonna feel it until I don't feel it. Yep, yeah. Avoidance is not good for you. Avoidance is not good for you. It it might feel decent in the short term, but long term avoidance is not gonna solve your problem. So I just wanted to add that to what you said because you make a really good point. You have to process the emotions, move through them. They take as long as they take to process them, but process them. Because usually mm-hmm. we very rarely experience one emotion at once. Yep. We experience yep. Um. There's three more things. I want engage in at least one activity that helps you feel empowered. Not disempowered, not oppressed, but feel empowered. That could be boxing, that could be exercising, that could be sex, that could be painting, that could be a, a web show, you know, a podcast. Engage in something that makes you feel empowered. Then engage in at least one activity that gives you joy and I would add pleasure. Right? Whether that's talking shit about white toxicity, whether that's you know, watching your favorite show, coloring, having your cocktail and moderation, engaging something that gives you joy. And then finally, rest and recharge, y'all. We have to take a break. Toxicity in and of itself eats away and it's poisonous. So we have to be able to rest and take a break from that. So those are six tips to managing white toxicity in the workplace. Um, it is pervasive. I'm going to try these myself this week. Thank there you. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. I went on my rant about white toxicity. I hope it was helpful. You haven't uh, even gone on your rant. You haven't even gone on your official rant yet, though. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Thank you. Okay. Here we go. So this brings us to our last segment of the show, y'all. And this is the last nerve. And perhaps my favorite. I'm going to get my time together. Because I'm about to go in. 
Give yourself 90 seconds. Don't give yourself 60. Give me 90. All right. 90 seconds of the last month. Let me tell y'all what my last month is today. Here we go. My last nerve is the toxicness of whiteness and its inability to be able to look at itself in the mirror so that it can deal with its own shit. Okay? Whiteness and all of its toxicity is so coddled in these great United States of America that it is constantly externalizing, constantly not validating, constantly looking for reasons to blame other people for its shit. Okay? I.e., I got a sex addiction, so I shoot up people. I.e., I'm having a bad day, so I kill people and I take lives. And I'm over it. I need for y'all to sit, sit down, look yourself in the mirror, and deal with your bullshit and stop making people the victim of your toxic. People don't deserve it. People do not deserve to be victims of your toxicity. You are lethal. You are toxic. And you eat away at people's psyche. You eat away at their mental health and well-being. You rob them of their fundamental experience of moving through this world to do all that God has created them to do because you are toxic and are unaware and won't deal with your shit. And I'm sick of it. Deal with your shit. Stop externalizing. Stop being caught up in guilt. Stop making excuses. Take your ass to therapy and deal with your shit. Do Here. better. Do, Do better. better. Do That's better. It. Do better. Do better. And that's my time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're uh, thank you. You're absolutely right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> y'all, that has been the break room. We have talked about how the body keeps the score. I hope y'all have found something helpful from the Google. Uh, Please do better. We will be reconvening next week, and we're going to talk about when toxic is too toxic. Yes, yes. When toxic is too toxic. So y'all join us again. Same time, same place. Thank you. I'll be safe. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Dr. Hill.